What's up, everybody? This is Jerry Ferrara, and you are listening to the Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah podcast. Look at me. I think there's a whole universe of women that would look at me as better looking than you. I'll agree, but while we're living in this universe, let's assume that she was looking at me. Assumption denied. <laughs> Maybe you are funny. That's what I learned today. The only problem I see is I'm also good-looking. So who are we going to find to play the second male lead? I got a great idea. What? What is it? Let me see what I can do first. I don't want to get you excited. I'm already excited. Look at me. Johnny, you really are funny. You know what? Get out of here. I got work to do. I'll call you in a little bit. All right. All right? All right. Bye. Thank you. Baby bros, welcome back to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, The Entourage Podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Hickey, coming to you from Palm Springs, California. Episode 3 of Season 7, Dramedy. It's a fun one. We have a great guest for you this week. Joe Gressis is a producer, writer, director, and editor in Hollywood. He's been doing it for almost all of his life. He reached out to me on Reddit, uh, believe it or not, and just gave me a really simple pitch. He was like, listen, man, I'm a little older than you. I've been working in this industry for a long time. I love the pod. I'd love to give a little bit of an older guy's perspective on the show. And I love that. So I had him on. And uh, I wouldn't recommend people just reach out to me and pitch themselves to be guests on the show unless you have a really compelling point of view like Joe. Uh, believe me, I love hearing from Entourage fans, but this thing's a pretty well-oiled machine at this point, and I'm just trying to have people on that I know or have good chemistry with. And Joe, turns out, is one of those. He was so funny, so engaging. I'm really looking forward to having him back. I think you guys will really love this conversation. A little bit behind-the-scenes, interworking Hollywood stuff, as well as just a lot of laughs. Go follow the pod at Oh Yeah Pod, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Enjoy the episode. There's a chance either next week or the week afterwards I might have to take the week off due to some scheduling stuff, but I'm going to complete it. We're on our way. 15 episodes to go. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode and have a great rest of your week. My guest this week is a regular jack-of-all-trades in Hollywood. He is a producer, writer, and director who's been nominated for three Emmy Awards, a streaming new media award, and he's been an honoree at a myriad of film festivals, including Sundance, He's a member of both the Writers Guild and the Editors Guild, and he's currently working on the reboot of Futurama for Hulu, which is set to make its return this summer. Dialing in from Los Angeles, California, Joe Gressis, welcome to the Entourage Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. This is something I don't normally encourage listeners to reach out to me to be guests on the podcast, as I do get that a lot. I did a lot of people doing hey, bro, I'd be a great guest. And I go, oh, cool, like, what's your background? And they go, I just really love Entourage. And I'm like, oh, that's not super helpful because usually I'm the guy who loves Entourage and I want to have someone with an interesting background on. Your background is one of the most interesting of all the guys, all the guests I've had on. You are a working stiff in Hollywood, for lack of a better word. Tell me about that experience and tell me where that brought you to Entourage and what your relationship with Entourage is like. Yeah, it's interesting. So... Entourage is to me like I'm very nostalgic for that show. Um, in it, you know the timeline of Entourage it starts in 2004, I believe, it runs through at 2011, something like that. Yep. So I moved to LA in 2004, and I was poor. I was so poor. I was living in a crappy apartment in Palms. I didn't have enough money to own a car. So if I ever had 
a job interview, I would have to like rent a car at this place across the street for me. It was literally called Rent-A-Rec and it'd be like $40 to rent a car. And they were the biggest pieces of shit. And they would sometimes not like actually make it to the place. It was like awful. I, I was poor, you know, and I had moved to LA with a dream. <clears throat> I had come here. I'd already done some work in the Midwest as an editor. So I had some skills when I came here, but you know, editing local commercials in Dayton, Ohio is not exactly the resume that- It's not show business. It's not, yeah. it doesn't really open doors in LA, but that's what I came with in 2004. And by 2009, I was I produced my first feature film with Jenna Fisher and Chris O'Donnell in wow. New York. It was, you know, uh, and uh, with uh, the writer director, the guy who created King of Queens. So- Amazing. So there's uh, a lot- of my experience in terms of working in this industry coincided with episodes of Entourage, even to the degree yeah. where things that like were maybe so inside baseball, people wouldn't even know about it. Like one thing that pops to mind is that I had Walter Hill attached to this movie. He was going to direct it. He's a very old school director for most of your audience who I assume is probably pretty young, but he directed like the Warriors and things like that. And we were trying to get Benicio del Toro on the movie, but there were we people weren't sure what was happening with him because of Che, right? And he uh -huh. was on again, off again, off again. And then I'm watching Entourage, and there's this story about Medellin with Benicio being on again, Benicio. off again. And I'm like, it's this, <laughs> like literally, this is what's going on. Ripped from the headlines. Yeah. So Entourage like really like parallels a lot of my own like kind of you know career. And you know what, Joe, one of the things you said to me before we started recording was like, listen, you, you do a great job, but like a couple of the things you guys talked about, and it's no fault of mine or my desk, we just miss because I was in my 20s when the show debuted. I'm in my 30s now. You're a little bit older and you're like, Doug Allen is my age. Those references were aimed squarely at my generation. And that's the type of stuff that I am hoping that you can clear up for me or talk about a little bit today, but also I just really appreciate it. You really appreciate you reaching out and saying, here, I'd love to offer my fresh, different perspective, as opposed to the people who reach out and go, you got this wrong. I fucking hate you. Your podcast fucking sucks. Because I did that a lot too, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's terrible. So let me ask, were you just sitting on that couch across from the rent a wreck with no money and were you watching Entourage? Did you start watching in season one or is it something you caught up on after a couple seasons? You know, it's funny. So one of the first, so being an editor was kind of one of the, the skills that I brought with me, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And so I was editing demo reels for actors. That was kind of the first job I managed to get in Los Angeles. And I did a reel for Constant Zimmer who plays Dana Gordon. And I was watching the, this material. So this was not first season. So I wound up catching it into like basically when her character comes in, which maybe is second season. Actually, season two with Aquaman. Season yeah. two. So that's basically, yeah. and I was like watching this show and I, and I was like, oh, this is a really interesting show. And then she was telling me about it and I was like, oh, I should watch it. It's actually the same way I wound up watching The Wire because I did Idris Elba's reel. And I'm like, Incredible. oh, this is a great show. <laughs> I should watch this show. <laughs> Um, and so that, yeah, that's like literally how I did it. It was by, you know, first meeting Constance Zimmer. <laughs> what an incredible story, small world stuff. And she's still killing it right now. Oh yeah. She's yeah. still, you know, she's incredible. She's like directing a movie now. I'd love, she, she agreed on Twitter to do this podcast. And I think she might've gotten it confused with, uh, the other podcast, but, uh, <laughs> there's another should, one. should be right. This. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Well, I can't wait to do it anyway. I can't wait to do into more of your background. Can't wait to talk about some of the categories. We have a decent, decent episode this week based upon your background with this whole Johnny drama trying to find his own show. It's uh, there, There's some stuff here that I think we can really chew on, Joe. We're doing dramedy. It's episode three of season seven. It first premiered on Sunday, July 18th, 2010. Joe, where were you in the summer of 2010? 
I was in Detroit, Michigan, producing my second feature film with uh, Matthew Lillard, who you might know of from oh, yeah. the screen movies and things, and uh, Dean Cain. And Dean Cain. Dean Cain. Fucking Superman's here. <laughs> Superman. Uh, there's and it's a it was a baseball movie, <clears throat> a kids baseball movie. It was a a very difficult shoot. Uh, I think if you ask, uh, you know, Matt Lillard, he, this is probably the least favorite movie he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was clearly one of those, you know, I'm gonna lose my house if I don't do something yeah. kind of movies. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I was. A very troubled production in Detroit. Detroit at that point had a 42% rebate for uh, for film production, which was mm -hmm. by far the most aggressive yeah. in the country. And so people were coming from everywhere. Well, I mean, Los Angeles, but every production that you can imagine was coming to Michigan with the purpose of like shooting. And so that is where I was making a movie. What is that film called? It is called Home Run Showdown. Home Run Showdown. Is it available anywhere to watch? It is. I believe it's free on Tubi. All right. Excellent. If you guys want something to do this week, check out Home Run Showdown on Tubi. Quick on this date, I do this little almanac thing for, you know, all my guests. So just two days prior, on July 16th, 2010, the science fiction action film Inception was released worldwide. It was written and directed by Christopher Nolan, who produced the film with Emma Thomas, his wife. The film stars Leonardo DiCaprio as a professional thief who steals information by infiltrating the subconscious of his targets. It was released on both conventional and IMAX screens, grossed over $828 million worldwide with a production budget of $160 million. It's considered one of the best films of the 2010s. It won four Academy Awards, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Visual Effects. And it was nominated for four more, Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, and Best Original Score. Let's judge it 13 years later. What do we think of Inception? Are we, are we, are we fans? Still good, yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked, I liked Inception, yeah. Still, still not sure exactly what's happening but still good you know what i mean like i thought like i rewatched it probably five years ago and i was like i got it now and then i rewatched it again last summer and i was like nope it's gone it lost, so, lost it that's what nolan does though right yeah no i like it it's funny that it's leonardo DiCaprio, right because they're always dropping his name like in in entourage it's constantly leo this and leo that absolutely quick recap of this week's episode of entourage and this is not quick at all this is a beat by beat plot summary by hbo but this is for all the listeners who maybe haven't had a chance to rewatch the episode lately so still angry about seeing Ari dancing with Lizzie Grant, Mrs. Ari gives him the cold shoulder at breakfast. Vince shows off his new motorcycle to Scott, who has no time to try it out. He has to go to an auction for Murray, who is away again. Drama and Eric meet with Roger J, an Emmy Award-winning writer. Drama is surprised to learn that Roger's career peaked in 91, and that his pitch about two brothers working at the Four Seasons Maui is a comedy. Marvin the accountant tells Turtle his business is losing thousands of dollars each month and advises him to find a new line of work. When Turtle tries to cut salaries, all of his girls quit. To squash rumors that he's leaving, Ari calls a staff meeting and announces he's bringing a football team to Los Angeles. He reminds everyone that the NFL reputation is prestigious, so they should watch what they say. What they say. Lizzie lobbies for Andrew Klein's job, but Ari says no. At the auction with Scott, Vince spots a 250,000 dinosaur head. The pair run into Randall Wallace, who tells Vince he has a project with Stan Lee that would be perfect for him. Drama is then persuaded by Eric that he is funny, but worries whether they can find someone to play his better-looking brother. Barbara Miller warns Ari that Lizzie has threatened to leave if she's not promoted. She argues that Lizzie is worth keeping, but Ari thinks that the threat is a bluff. When Lizzie does quit, Ari uses the news to win back his wife, 
promising her that Lizzie is no longer working at the Millard Old Agency. Alex calls to complain her check has bounced. Turtle tells her to stop by and he'll give her cash. Financially strapped herself, she offers to introduce Turtle to a friend in Mexico who can help them both make money. Lastly, Phil Udoda gets John Stamos interested in playing drama's brother. They just need to meet, so Stamos can approve drama. Drama calls E with the good news, and Vince tells him to join the party taking place at the mansion. E gets Sloane's okay to leave their quiet dinner at home to head to the party. He's worried that Scott has introduced Vince to Randall Wallace. And once there, Eric gets into a shoving match with Scott and breaks Vince's new dinosaur head. I need to catch your breath. Joe, why don't you start us off with what your favorite moment from this week's episode of Entourage was? Uh, my favorite moment, I, I my favorite scene was where drama meets with Roger. <laughs> that whole scene is great. It's very funny. It's it, you know, it it really showcases drama's uh narcissistic delusions. Uh yes. but you know, also why people feel like they can capture this in a bottle and turn it into something entertaining. That whole scene uh, worked for me pretty well. I thought that was uh, a lot of fun. It's not a super long scene, but it like it goes gets in and out. And I thought Jeff Garland was funny, uh, yep. and the the show that they describe feels like something that worked. It's practically White Lotus, <laughs> like the comedy. It is practically like yeah, thirteen years ahead of the fat. And I want to save some thoughts I have about that scene about the performance. Jeff Garland, a Midwest style, like, like apparently both mm -hmm. you and I are. I mean, huge fan. But no, it's. I also want to kind of save the whole drama just the delusion of grandeur of like, why don't we have, he's like, let me call Dick Wolf. Yeah. He said I was good as a streaker. On <laughs> right, just those, a great scene. those types of lines. I mean, this episode is real. It's called dramedy. This whole episode is kind of about drama's, you know, plight for uh, uh, finding a successful show. So I, uh, let's see, I won my first two Emmys for the days and nights of Molly Dodd in 87, 88, won my third for the famous Teddy Z in 89. And then in 91 was my fourth and final one for Designing Women. All before the age 30. No wins after 91? To tell you the truth, I haven't had a produced script since 91. Roger made so much money in the 80s that in 1991, much to his first agent, Ari Gold's chagrin, he decided to retire young. And now you're unretiring? Roger lost a lot of money in the market the last couple of years. And my stay-at-home husband took a lot more. So you're just getting back into the business for money? I was hoping whoever was gonna write my show was gonna be excited to work for me. Work for you. Johnny, Roger is very excited. Not to work for you, but to work with you. Right, Roger? I'm exuberant. So what's this show about? It's about two brothers who work at the Four Seasons Maui. You ever been there? No. It's incredible. So this show is just an excuse to live in Maui. And what would be so wrong with that? Yeah, don't worry about that drama. Yeah, Johnny, you're gonna love Maui. I do love Maui. I'm just concerned about what this show is going to be. Well, I'm just concerned that you've only done sitcoms. I mean, mostly multi-camera work. Have you ever done any dramas? I don't do dramas. And I don't do comedy. I'm not funny. Lloyd sent me tape of you, and you're incredibly funny, Johnny, even though you don't mean to be. As a matter of fact, after I watched your stuff, I wrote 10 pages, and it's good. Here, read it. If you like it, I'll write some more. Until then, I got a Manny Petty to roll to. Ciao, Lloyd. Bye, sweetie. All right, take care, Roger. Yeah. Well, what's with the arrogant has-been? I thought we were going to get some high-end showrunners in I'm here. I'm setting all I can. What about Dick Wolf? He personally told me I was great when I played a streaker in SVU. Chama, we've been calling everywhere, and we're going to keep looking. In the meantime, let's just read Roger's script. It was written just for you. Yeah, well, hopefully I'm not based on his stay-at-home husband. And what would be so wrong with playing a stay-at-home husband? Huh? Nothing, Lloyd. Nothing. Take it easy. My favorite moment from this episode is really this like 
This whole third act of this episode is just like a house party in the middle of the day, which for me felt very reminiscent of like Entourage seasons one and one through four, maybe. They're drinking James Bond's wine. They're playing Truth or Dare, which is kind of stupid ping pong. It's kind of just like a good hang. And watching this episode when it debuted, I was probably 22 years old. I was probably glad that, like, oh, these guys party just like me. It's just with much more expensive drinks and much more attractive people. And I don't know. I, I think it's interesting that you know, I watch this show so closely, Joe. You just don't see these guys throwing that many house parties, which doesn't make that much sense because Vince is now like Leonardo DiCaprio level of fame. So like the bitter you get, the more insulated I feel like you would become as a star. I feel like, I feel like a lot more of the scenes should be taking place at the house and, and in house parties. So that's just a long rambling way of saying just kind of the entire third act of them at the house party is my favorite moment. Yeah, it's, it's fun because it also is a bit of a throwback, like as you said, to like some of the earlier stuff. And what the show doesn't tend to work quite so well when they're trying to get you to care really deeply. Um, because to me, the show has always been most successful, not necessarily because of the characters, of course, with the except, you know, Eric Ari is, of course, great and drama is great, but it captures the zeitgeist. Right, that's what its real magic was. Because you know, obviously, you'll hear you'll people some complaints about the way Vince works and things like that. And sure. those are not those are understandable um, criticisms. But the show really caught the zeitgeist. I mean, it was like something that was kind of like that was like a moment in time that that show captured perfectly. And you, you know, you don't want to lose that. Oh, the, the last thing I was going to say about though that meeting the show with Roger. One of the reasons that I reached out to you is because it's like you, since you don't have the Gen X perspective. And you kind of miss some stuff sometimes only because of that. This show does not have a lot of Gen X stuff, by the way. So it's like, I'm not going to be super helpful in that regard because there's not much. But the only thing that I realized would be different is when he talks about that, when Roger talks about that he wrote on the days and nights of Molly Dodd and the famous Teddy Z and then Designing Women, those are real shows, right? I, I figured they were, and, yeah. And if, you, and if you were like my age, you would know that, right? You know, you're watching the show and it's like hitting more realistically because you're like, oh yeah, those are all real. But if you're not, it's like, sure. it could be <laughs> completely made up. And there I am on my couch, kind of blankly like nodding at like those names. And that's what Drama and E are doing in that meeting. They're like, okay, cool. Like, you know, I mean, maybe Drama's seen some of those, but like E doesn't know what the hell they are. It's a, it's a fair point. And I, I never think any references in the show, even if they go over my head, I don't think that they're made up out of the blue. Like Dodd Allen does a really great job of kind of, like you said, the zeitgeist, just capturing different eras of Hollywood and uh, relating it back to the characters. So. It also tells you a little bit more about Roger because it's like those shows were you know, they worked, they ran for a few seasons, but they weren't super successful. Like Designing sure. Women was, but the other two were not. So it's kind of like, you can, it also helps put you in drama's mindset. It was like, who's this has been, you know? Yeah. And it's, I thought it was interesting that Roger's like, truth be told, I haven't had a produced script since 91. And it's like, wow, this is taking place in 2010. We're two whole decades past that po point. I mean, it really is like, he's kind of a has been, you know, washed out, you know, these types of things. And I think that's the point of the scene is drama thinks he's, you know, worthy of more. And then bada boom, bada beam, it all happens for them. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as we keep going. Joe, every week we talk about bros being bros. And that doesn't have to mean exactly what it sounds like. Just really moments of male camaraderie and friendship that I think the show did a great job of capturing that you don't really see a lot in television anymore. Any, any moments like that jump out at you? Well, um, I like the first scene at Earth Cafe yeah. because uh, it, you get a lot, like it, it was interesting to have the drama and E dynamic kind of shift on its axis a little bit where those two were against Turtle when it was almost always the other way throughout the whole course, course of it. So it was nice to see those guys work. 
to bring my own experience into a little bit, I lived in West Hollywood. I used to go to that particular Earth Cafe all the time. I lived like literally across the street from Chateau Marmont. So I'd go there. The opening credits of the show are, all of it is where I lived. <laughs> so I, I, very, I related very much to it. And so when the show opens at the coffee shop I used to go to all the time uh, with those guys having like a moment, which is again, kind of like, the only reason that you even get that moment is because you've seen the rest of the show and you know it's normally turtle and drama together. <laughs> yeah. And so that's yeah. me like that was all kind of like a fun way to start and they're all like, you know, busting balls and all that. No, I, I completely agree. It's it's like he says like he's not me now. And like they do are they're standing up to Turtle, who, if I'm being honest, has no real right to like be bullying drama because he's all. very clearly having business yeah, problems of his own. But that, that was mine as well. And I think the, the most bros being bros moment of that is after Vince pulls up on the motorcycle and he's like, all right, we're going to E's office and we're racing. <laughs> he's already on the motorcycle. Right. And Vin, you know, he's like, we're not racing. And drama's like, yes, we are. He's getting the car. Like, just as like, just relating back to them being 12 years old on their Schwinn bikes, going to the arcade to play Street Fighter or whatever it is that the drama says. It's, 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 so, it's so good. It's so just like, at the end of the day, we're still guys and we still like to just have little competitions even if it's for meaningless stuff like i'll get there first where's vince no clue well we better hurry i gotta meet my accountant in an hour you mean vince's account i pay him yeah on layaway <laughs> good one it's a sad day when you're jealous of my success drama your definition of success and mine are way different yeah i have my own company you have nothing yeah, he's got me damn straight player I don't like you two as a team. Yeah, we'll get used to it, because this team's going places. Yo, yo! Great mother of God. You bought a motorcycle. Don't worry, E. Made sure to get one with airbags. Wow. Hilarious. <laughs> What's up? Are we eating? We're done. We waited in an hour. I got Marvin. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know how long it was going to take at the dealer. Anyway, what are you guys going to do? Office. We have a meeting with an Emmy-winning writer. Ah, oh, well, hop on, E. I'll give you a ride. I want to show your boy Lab in my bike anyway. He's not my boy. Whatever, hop on. No, Vince, I'm not sitting on that weird little seat and wrapping my arms around you. All right, Johnny, you want to race? No. Come on, remember when we were kids? We used to race to the market and play Street Fighter? We were on Schwinn's, bro. Yeah, think about how much more fun this will be. Don't be a pussy. I'll see you there. Come on, Ace. We're not racing. Come on! Yes, we are! Be careful, drive slow. Can't be careful. We're racing! also say this maybe isn't like the best bros being bros moment but is a bros being bros moment by its definition Ari stopping Lizzie Grant's career growth at his company in order to like defend the honor of his friend who's in rehab I guess it's like like I said honorable but it's not the smartest move given everything that plays out further in this season with Lizzie and Amanda Daniels etc for, for sure Joe what was your least favorite moment from this week's episode of Entourage my least favorite is going to be generally speaking the um Ari and Barbara interactions. Yeah. And the reason is cuz like I feel like Barbara is written in a in, in a way that is like a narrative mismatch, right? So mm -hmm. Beverly D'Angelo plays her as a real aggressive girl boss type, right? And she's always a, going at Ari but always losing. Always loses. Yeah. So she doesn't wind up being a proper foil for him. And considering that she always comes at him like a like an angry Wolverine, but always loses, the character doesn't, like in a way kind of doesn't work. And so you know that when she- Doesn't she's, carry as much weight. It doesn't because she always loses. If she would win, yeah. she needed to win now and then. And she was always presented 
as someone who is like, you know, got a lot of money, got a lot of smarts. She kind of plays it like that, but it just doesn't work when she's always like, you know, which is when Ari says, I'm going to overrule you. And she goes, you can't overrule me. No, he does. He overrules her. Yeah. No, <laughs> he does it with the Andrew Klein hire as well. Yeah. She's like, no, we're not hiring the schmuck friend of yours. He's a disaster. Yeah. And he's like, I will overrule you. So you're right. He, she's kind of written initially as this like equal to Ari. You know, they start the agency together. They're both these powerful figures. And then you're right. The next three seasons are just Ari steamrolling her at every chance she does. So, yeah, it's kind of an unfortunate written role for your former client, Beverly D'Angelo. <laughs> yeah, she does she's a great job. Editor client, yeah. She does a really great job in the role, but you're right. She doesn't have a lot to do besides be Ari's foil for half of an episode until he gets his way. All, all she gets to do is say, I told you so. That's it. Yeah. And and it's like if she had actually won some of these battles, I think narratively it would have been much more interesting, right? Because it's like, Ari isn't always going to get what he wants from that relationship. And so that's why it's like, so whenever they come up, and this is probably also a function of me having seen the show multiple times, as I'm like, oh gosh, more just bluster that's not going to result in anything. Completely agree. Ari? Didn't we already top our one conversation per day rule, Babs? I want to talk about Lizzie. Oh, Jesus. She went running to her grandmother. I think she's a star. <laughs> and I think she's a star who we could get for a lot less than anybody we bring in from the outside to run our TV department. Why don't you run the TV department? Why don't you? Barbara. Is this because of what happened between her and Andrew? No, it's because I don't think she's ready. Well, I think she is. She looks 21. Her looks don't matter. Really, we'd still have the head of our TV department if that were the case. So, it is about that. No, it, Barbara, it's Ari! about- Ari! She's going to quit if we don't give her what she wants. She said that? Yes. And I'd hate to lose her. Well, so would I. But? But she's not ready and threatening to quit because she didn't get her way proves that. Everyone knows I don't respond to threats, and neither should you. I'm calling her bluff. She's going to be a superstar, Ari. I'm calling her bluff. So tell her to show us her goddamn cards. Maybe I should have a say in this, too. You had your say, and you were overruled. You don't get to overrule me. Barbara, this girl caused the demise of my best friend. You take up her cause now, and it'll be the demise of us. Tell her to keep her pretty head down, and when she's ready, she'll get hers. Maybe I'll just tell her you're a jackass. Oh, I like good cop, bad cop game. I like it. Maybe later we can role play, huh? Is it just me, or would you look great in leather pants and a gag ball? So my least favorite moment, it's its kind of a writing choice. It's Ian Sloan having dinner towards the end of the episode. It's not because they're having dinner. It's not because they're a happily married couple. It's because of what E keeps saying. It's like a really poorly written scene. Like, it starts off, and he's just like... He does this twice in this scene, Joe. He's like, things are great. Vince is great. Turtle's great. I have a great life. I'm feeling good. Vince is good. It's all good. And then she's like... I hope it's all good. And then he's like, yeah, I've got a great job, great fiance. I probably should have put you first, right? And she's like, yeah, you probably should have, which is like daytime sitcom beats. And it all results in like him getting a phone call from drama and feeling left out and rushing off to be with his boys. I just don't understand that like expositional choice for E to always, he does this often, like once a season, he'll just be like, you know, things are really good right now. And let me go ahead and list why things are good. It's like almost like, hey, we're setting everyone up for the massive fall that comes in like basically two or three episodes with the tequila, coke, and porn stars. I just didn't like that scene. I didn't like its construction. I didn't think it was super necessary. What was your thought on that scene? I mean, I agree to the to the extent that it's like the only way that they can show that things are going well for E is by having him say things are going well for E. <laughs> right? It's like it's True. it's just classic, you know, uh, it, it's classic tell, not show. And you need to show it. Yeah. And there's lots of ways to show it. It could be like 
Instead of that, he's like having dinner with uh, with Sloan. They're having a great time. The phone rings. He doesn't pick it up or he looks and he just doesn't do it. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to say everything's going great without him going, things are really going great. <laughs> yeah. I'm really happy in my marriage right now. It Just show him being happy in his marriage yes. as opposed to being like, I'm really happy in my marriage right now. And, <laughs> exactly. And she makes a joke about it. 1000%. Not the best scene in the episode. I'll also say, I mentioned it just a few minutes ago. Turtle talking down the drama at breakfast because he's now suddenly a successful business owner. And then the next scene, finding out that he's losing thousands of dollars and yeah. spending the rest of the episode having money problems. I don't know if that was my least favorite moment. It just was like such a turn. Because you don't really get the perspective from the first two episodes of the season that the business is going poorly. He's like, all these girls are coming in and out, all these cars. The business idea as a whole, just a disaster. Terrible. But like all of a sudden this episode, it's, it's a money pit and he has to end it. So this is the last we see of Lim Hose. I don't know if that's what it's called this season, but what he referred to it as in previous seasons. Yeah. And, go, and going back to the Ian thing real quick, Sloan is also like such a fabulous catch. Yeah. Right. That that also makes it like difficult for them because they're like, she's almost his perfect character. So it's like, absolutely hard. It's the most easygoing, like, yeah, beautiful, financially successful. Go be with your friends. I'll, I'll yeah. clean up dinner. I feel good. Drama's good. Vince seems happy. We're good. You convincing me or yourself? Whoever it's working on. Neither. But you are right about one thing. We are good. Actually, drama's pretty good, too. Well, what are you thinking? Vince isn't okay? I don't know. Something's up. I mean, he shaves his head, forces Cassavetes to push back his reshoot schedule. I think you just need to get used to letting go and let Vince figure stuff out on his own. Yeah, you're right. I got a great job, great fiance. <laughs> probably should have put you first, right? Yeah, you probably should. <laughs> I'm proud of you, babe. I love you. Relax, okay? We're going to have a wonderful night. Everything's going to be okay. Joe, what was the most entourage moment of this episode? That can mean whatever you think entourage in quotes means. Okay. It's funny because this is kind of an interstitial episode in a lot of ways where it's like, you know, we're leading up to, you know, Ari's problems, we're leading up to Vince's problems, we're leading up to, you know, Ian Sloan's problems, and not a lot of that happens there. But mm -hmm. despite that, an, this episode has a scene that you could possibly distill the entire series of Entourage into this into this one scene where it's like, uh, hey, Randall Wallace, I'm here to fuck this model and buy a dinosaur skull. Great, Vince. How would you like to be the lead of my new tentpole superhero? Film? <laughs> there better be a part in it for me, baby bro. And then the music for uh, uh, Eminence Front starts. Then we got like a single of Vince, a single of E, a single of Ari, a single of Turdy, Turtle, a single of Randall Wallace, back to Johnny Drama. What? And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, then it ends with them looking out at the skyline of LA and they go, yeah. can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. Four kids from Queens. Yeah. We did it. So that that to me is like the most amazing scene. I'm here to buy a dinosaur oh, skull, fuck this amazing. model, and get in a tentpole superhero film because this guy is loitering around waiting for me to show up <laughs> and offer me this part. <laughs> it's just oh, like Joe, that is so much better than mine. So <laughs> I'll I'll take that. That wins. Uh, hands down. All good? Yeah. Sure? Yeah, my boss is a fucking prick. He says he's a nice guy. Yeah, well, he's marrying his goddaughter. What else is he going to say? <laughs> I hear you. I mean, how cool is this? It's very cool. That is the skull of a recently discovered species of Allosaurus. It's Adrian Peterson's. Hey, hey, Danny Chase. I haven't seen you since New Orleans. Yeah, hey, man. Yeah. Hey, tough loss. Yeah, they're all tough. You guys trying to buy my skull? Ah, we're just browsing. Why are you selling it? 
Yeah, was Shante Shenko trying to use it as a cup? <laughs> Funny. Just an investment. A very good one at that. This is one of the most rare skulls in the world. Really? Even more rare than the one Nicolas Cage has. Nicolas Cage has a dinosaur head? I'm sure at this point the IRS has a dinosaur head. <laughs> Quite possibly, but he did outbid Leo for one in 2007. What'd he pay? Uh, 275000 I think. Wow, and you think this would go for more? Should. It better. <laughs> good seeing you, Vince. Hey, see ya. Man. I mean, you really think this will go for more than 275000 Anything's possible at an auction, but maybe somebody will get lucky. <laughs> she wants to fuck. Yeah, you think I have to buy the skull in order to? Well, it couldn't hurt. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is perfect. Do you know Randall Wallace? I mean, not personally, but I love Braveheart. You have to meet him. Well, you have to introduce me. After you, please. <laughs> hey, Randall. Hey. Scott Lavin. Oh, Scott, I'm yeah, done. how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, how's Murray? Murray is uh, dead. I'm kidding, I'm totally kidding. Listen, you know Vinny Chase? Not personally, but I've wanted to meet you for a long time, man, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> he was just saying what a fan of yours he was. Yeah, just now. I, I can't wait to see Secretariat. It's testing through the roof. I can't wait for you to see it. I'll never forget, I tried to, uh, I tried to sign Randall at the Pearl Harbor premiere, you remember that? Yeah, yeah, you were still in the mail room at the time, as I recall. You have a very good memory, it's true. What, why haven't you guys found something to do together? You gotta find something. Vince, I've got the perfect thing for you. Stan Lee's superhero. It's called Airwalker. Interesting. I know you did Aquaman, but this has a whole different feel. David Benioff wrote the script. Really? Yeah, I, and I've been calling Ari, and I don't get a call back. Talk to Scott. He's right you here. call me immediately. Call me this week. We'll get into it. I'll do it. I'll yeah. call. Good to see you. You too, Scott. See you later. Right. Nice to meet you, Vince. But mine, like, on a small, in a smaller encapsulation is... Johnny Drama's TV deal being days from running out, E hiring a has-been comedy writer who writes only 10 pages for drama, who brings to Phil Udota, who loves it and gets the network on board pending John Stamos's approval all in one day. All in one day <laughs> yeah, this happens in the entourage day. world. You know better than I do how slowly the wheels of Hollywood oh, turn. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so funny. Yeah, that's great. It all works out in the end, man. <laughs> okay, 10 more seconds. 10. Nine, eight. It's my produce. Seven, six. Don't touch hey, me. Hey, Phil. Hey, John. You gotta speak up. It's kind of loud in here. I can't hear you. John Stamos, John. Can you hear that? John Stamos? Yeah. Think he could play the other guy? Maybe. I don't know. You think he's better looking than me? Maybe, John. Anyway, he likes the idea, and the network loves him. They said if he's in, they're in. So we're all in. He wants to meet you, approve you. Stamos? Yeah. Needs to approve me? Come on, John. I'm gonna set this up. This is really, really good. Okay. Aloha, baby. Aloha. Before we get to best quote, I do want to ask you about this season of Entourage. I, I, I didn't really prepare you for this, but we've kind of referenced it. You know, things really, really change in the next three weeks, uh, three episodes. Sorry. What was your thoughts on that? When it happened in real time in 2010, did you enjoy it? Looking back on it now, is it too? stark of a left turn for the character of Vince Slater. What are your overall thoughts on this season? My thought is that having Vince have a drug problem and have like a fame problem is a good idea. So yeah. A solid plan and a good idea. However, I really don't think they kind of stuck the landing with it. And it turns out that the show is much more successful when it is fun when yeah. when it is selling the when when it's selling the fantasy. It's much it's much more fun. And when you try to get when you try to care about Vince and his plight, it's very difficult because as we know, he's he gets an incredible amount of 
wealth and success and power for doing very little and constantly <laughs> very making, little that we see too very like, little that they, we they see purposely yeah and making a lot of bad decisions along the way and then he also winds up falling for this porn star which is like seems again kind of crazy for somebody like him it's like i mean obviously she you know uh, this this is not in any way to denigrate her humanity that is not the point sure. but it's also like for a guy who is himself so mercenary when it comes to sex, how could he go into a relationship with this person and not have kind of an understanding that it's going to be fun and not to bank too much on it? I mean, it, it's clear that this is a relationship with a time limit. And he, so it's, there's like a lot of kind of like weird choices that happen. And you said, it's just ultimately difficult to sympathize too much with things that go wrong for him because you're just like, you've got everything at your disposal to make things go right. Exactly. And we talk about this on this podcast all the time, but at the end of season five, he gets offered the Gatsby role and then everything is on easy street. And we spend a lot of last season with him just chilling, like literally episodes of Entourage ending with Vince just sitting in his mansion, looking around at all of the great things. This has been brought up on this podcast before. The seeds should have been planted last season. We should have started to see him be a little uncomfortable with maybe just being alone or just unsure of who he is and just I don't know what that is I don't know if he starts doing the drugs for fun in season season six and then kind of reaches ahead in season seven but all of it just kind of coming out of nowhere after three episodes him hitting his head at the first episode of the season and then it all being gone five episodes later when we start season eight is just just really abrupt and really yeah. out of character for both the show and the character of Vince so I'm glad to hear that perspective it feels to me like they understood it wasn't working and that's kind of why there was like yeah. such an abrupt change but like I said, the idea is solid from a storytelling perspective. It just didn't. I completely work. agree. Any lines or quotes jump out at you from this week's episode, Joe? And I have plenty if you if you don't. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got one that 100% like made me laugh so much. There's kind of two, but I'm going to save the other one for, is a drama yeah. line. I'm going to save that for later. But the one that absolutely has me is, I'm exuberant. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Garland's delivery. About his, Aren't you looking forward to working with Johnny Drama? I'm exuberant. That was my favorite. Working line. for you? Yeah, <laughs> working for you. Yeah, that was it. I'm exuberant. It just made me laugh. Have you been to the Four Seasons of Maui? It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like monotone, like yeah. delivery. It's it's so good. I, I completely agree. That's, he's great in this episode. He's really great. I wish we had a little more of him. I don't me think too. we did any more of him. I think this is just a one-time, one-off thing. And then he goes on and pursues, drama goes on and pursues Ari Banana. Um, I already mentioned drama after that meeting. I thought we were going to get some high-end showrunners in here. And Lloyd goes, I'm setting all I can. And drama goes, what about Dick Wolf? He personally <laughs> told me I was great when I played a streaker in SVU, which no episode of Entourage is complete without drama's like really out-of-date reference yeah. to him being literally like a corpse or like a criminal or just some random, random role. And then I think Ari has a pretty good line when he addresses like the whole company, when he's like, oh, who's, he, who, who's telling you about these NFL ruler, rumors? And uh, Barbara says, like, everyone, everyone's talking about it. He said, well, let's put an end to that right now. And he goes, I have eyes and ears everywhere. Let me just say, if these ears hear about anyone talking about me, that person will die. And I'm not threatening your jobs. I'm threatening your lives. And I'm serious. Just another thing that wouldn't happen today, but of, of the time, it's just so good. You know, it's just such a, it's just perfect Ari. Threatening your life over a rumor about that. Ari, Ari, Ari. Barbara, Barbara, Barbara. Did you have a stroke and now stutter? Is there something going on that I should know about? Something going on? With the NFL. Who told you? People are talking. W what people? What difference does it make? Is it true? Yes, it's true. I was going to talk to you about it today. Well, what does it mean? 
Are you leaving here? Of course not. That's not what people think. What people? The people who are talking. Well, let's straighten it out. Let's get the people to stop talking. Everyone, conference room, quickly. And quickly means run. Ari, can we go to lunch today? What? No, why? I need to talk. Well, email me. OK, people, here's the thing. This merger has made me more famous than I ever wanted to be. I don't want to be known. I don't want to be talked about. I have ears everywhere. Let me just say that if those ears hear about anyone talking about me, that person will die. And I'm not threatening your jobs. I'm threatening your lives. And I'm serious. But here's what's happening, in case any of you have heard. I'm bringing an NFL team to Los Angeles. <laughs> And it won't affect this company, by the way, except we all might have really good football seats. Mike Ovis couldn't do it. I will. <laughs> the NFL has a prestigious reputation. What you say and do can affect mine. Don't. Joe, we have a playlist called Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah Music, which we add our favorite songs to every week. The playlist is available in the show notes of today's episode of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah. Go listen to it. Subscribe if you guys haven't yet. What were, any, what were some songs that jumped out of you or a song that maybe jumped out of you? For it's just episode? the like Tame Impala song at the end. It's yeah. like That's like literally it. Because the only, I mean, I was I paying agree. attention for music and the only other music I even remember hearing was, okay, so yeah. So the only other place I, could, I even remember music being in the episode at all was when Vince is about to leave on the motorcycle at the start. But it's just some kind of, I, if it's a if it's a song, I don't even know. It felt to me like a generic like needle drop from like a music library. That song is Hickory Detonomy from Stone Temple Pilots. But I agree, it's not one that stands out immensely. It doesn't. It feels very generic rock. I, I love Stone Temple Pilots actually, but that song Same. to me did not jump out as something like that sounds like them. Yeah, not a lot of great music in this week's episode. The Tame Impala song, I'm pretty sure, probably at the age of 22, that was the first time I'd ever heard Tame Impala. The song is Half Full Glass of Wine. It plays over the end credits. Me too. It's like they were, they're much bigger now than they were. Like that was maybe one of their, you know, like as you mentioned on your podcast, they do a good job kind of introing songs. And it's like that may be one of the things that kind of got them going because I had not, I was not familiar with them whatsoever at that point. Shout out to Scott Venner, the producer. I shout him out every episode. He's, he's really, really good at his job. Yo, E, what's good? You tell me. You know what? Spending some time with your boys, realizing maybe you're not as soft as I've been treating you. No. So, I think we should be friends. We can be friends, Scott. Just don't bring Vince projects anymore, okay? I do that alone. Don't be territorial with me, huh? We both rep him. No, Scott, we don't. Whoa, hey, this is a team company, E. That all comes down from your soon-to-be godfather-in-law. Where's Vince? He is in the camp. He got called out on a dare, and he's in there with two girls. You guys are playing truth or dare. You were playing truth or dare. What are you, too mature? Hmm? I got an idea. I double dare you to arm wrestle me for Vince. Huh? Do you want to hit me as hard as you can? Because you can. I'll let you. Let's go punch for punch. Shots in the face. I go first. Careful, Scott. Huh? He's pretty scrappy. Is he really? I'm not worried about it. Go ahead, you take the first shot. I'm not right gonna go. punch you Good. in the face, Scott. Come on, you're not? What if I do that? Then what? Uh. Great mother of God. What happened? You broke it. That's not my hat, is it, bro? Said you wouldn't be home late soon. Okay, 
Okay, we have uh, two celebrity cameos. Three if you include Jeff Garland. We've got Adrian Peterson and Randall Wallace. Who do you want to talk about first, Joe? Well, if we're going to go for best celebrity cameo, I would like to say Jeff Garland, even though it's like... Yeah. Even though yeah, it's like... He's playing a character. Yeah, and then Randall Wallace I get, also was pretty good. So I, I would go through. But I Jeff Garland, for sure, for me. From my hometown of Chicago, Illinois, he's an American stand-up comedian and actor. He's best known for playing Murray Goldberg, patriarch of the Goldberg family in the ABC sitcom The Goldbergs, and Jeff Green on the HBO sitcom Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's also played Marvin on Mad About You and Mort Myers on Arrested Development. Quite the resume for Mr. Darlin'. Like, mm -hmm. not a ton of credits, but those four are pretty infallible. I will say, and I don't know what your thoughts on this. I don't think it was a bad performance, but like, I think the jokes around him being a gay man were like a little hacky and like him being like, I need to go get a Manny Petty. It just felt a little like, all right, like, yes, this was written in 2010. I don't want this to be a bid like thing here, but like, it just, I don't know. If it was written today, it, it wouldn't be even brought up that he was a gay man because it's not important to the plot. And the drama has a line about like, who am I going to play? His Manny Petty stay-at-home husband. I actually do like think that. that there's there actually was something important to it. Um, and Let's... and I think I can get to this later. It's because okay. of Lloyd. That's why it was important to say he was gay. Um, this is good. Yeah. Should I jump into that? Now? I mean, that this is something you're going to go ahead. Later. Yeah. Okay. Go in order. Yeah. So uh, going out of order then, because um, you one of the questions you ask is like you know who comes off the bench or the six man award, right? Six man. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say it's Lloyd because here is Lloyd trying to become an agent. Through his gay mafia connections, he gets this guy. That's why it's mm -hmm. important, I think. Mm -hmm. And this guy it actually does manage to write something that works, understands yeah. drama, gets Phil Vigoda interested, gets John Stamos on board. And it's entirely because Lloyd has managed to step up in this episode. Yeah. Not only that, <laughs> he has an opportunity to finally like counter somebody who's being homophobic, right? When it, <laughs> yeah, and stand up to right, him. Right, yeah. when drama's For the first like, time like, ever in this show. First time ever. And drama's going, I don't want to be a, a stay-at-home husband. He goes, well, what's wrong with that? And he goes, nothing. Yeah. Right, so Lloyd work, like everything Lloyd does in this episode Love shows this. that he's like a competent agent going forward and that he actually, and that his his gay mafia, which he mentions many times, that bears fruit. It brings, it yeah. makes something happen. This is such a good answer for Six Man. It's it's 100% correct too. It is the entire impetus behind this is Lloyd. I always thought it was the Jeff Garland character, but no, it's Lloyd setting the meeting and then getting these wheels in motion. So great answer. And I don't mind that we stepped on the category. I'll do my Six Man award really quick. Out of respect, I want to give it to Paul Herman as Marvin. This was his last appearance on Entourage. It was one of his last television appearances. I think it was his last television appearance. Now he went on to act in just four more credits before passing away last year but those four credits are silver linings playbook american hustle joy and the irishman so he did a really nice little jump from hbo where he was on sopranos before this and then jumped into four of the biggest movies of the last 20 years so. he, he was great in this episode he was great he's always great yeah. as marvin i used to call this category the marvin award and uh then it just became easier to say six man because right. you can kind of give it to anybody you don't seem happy marvin your business stinks and you don't pay me. Why would I be happy? My business is growing. You lost two grand last month. Yeah, but I lost three grand the month before. Yeah, that's because you stopped eating lunch. There's got to be something I could do. Take out an insurance policy. Fake your death. We'll mail you some cash to Guatemala or someplace. Can you at least try and take this seriously, please? Hey, I'm dead serious. You are running out of cash and fast. I sank every dollar I had into this, Marvin. Yeah, I know that. And Vince sunk in about 30 grand also. Sunk? being the operative word. Nobody thought I could pull this off when I started. And look, I, I put together a real business. Turtle, it's admirable what you've attempted. I really mean that. And to tell you the truth, 
You cost inventions a lot less money now when you're working than when you weren't. But you're going to run out of cash soon. And you cannot get any more money from Vince. That bank is closed. You better figure out something else and quick. Okay, but back to celebrities. So I thought AP was pretty tough. I think his acting was a little, little, little flat. But, you know, you had to have someone own the, I guess you had to have someone own the Allosaurus head, right? Like it's, it's kind of a play on the whole Nicholas Cage thing. They bring up Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage famously owned a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex head. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not sitting there going, oh, I, I love this episode because of the Adrian Peterson <laughs> cameo. He's considered one of the greatest running bats of all time. But in, in no way uh, did it, like, you know, dip my blood pressure up uh, back then in 2010 or today. Uh, he was definitely uh, the worst celebrity cameo to me because um, this is a thing that happens on on entourages they have these actors they have these athletes and whenever they have an athlete on it always it's this like this guy awkwardly acting because it, it's not what they do and then they have to act like they've known vince a long time and you're just like how do they know vince that well it's like these worlds don't really coincide particularly well and then it's like <laughs> and he said he talks to vince and he's like i was watching him while he while he's not saying lines and he's like sitting there uncomfortably and kind of like moving around yeah. and then when it's over He's just like, all right, Vince, I'll see you. And he claps him on the shoulder. And then he just like walks off frame. And if you're looking at the geography of the room, he's just going nowhere. So it's just, just going to the corner. He's just going to the corner. So it's like, <laughs> hey, Vince, great to see you. I'm going to go stand in the corner now. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, uh, it's like yeah, that's a uh, boy. <laughs> like way to, way to draw attention to it. Uh, so it's, it's just, all I could picture is that like, as they're leaving, you could see Anderson Peterson in the corner of the store, you know, like he's on Blair Spinning Witch. in a circle. Yeah, like he's in Blair Witch Project waiting for something. <laughs> Come take him. Uh, so yeah, that like, they never work for me, those uh, athlete uh, appearances. I mean, it's like, I, I understand why there's like some, appeal to getting someone like that on the show and that the home audience might you know it's like there's a the venn diagram sports fans and entourage fans is probably pretty pretty uh overlapped but yeah i don't enjoy and it. this season in particular with the avion tequila plot line which is coming up we do get to did a lot of athletes in in the in the picture pretty soon it just becomes like a carousel of like celebrities per oh, yeah. episode this category is going to go on for 10 15 minutes every week yeah uh come about midway through this season and then Randall Wallace. Randall Wallace came to prominence by writing the screenplay for the historical drama film Braveheart. His work on the film earned him a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay and a Writer's Guild of America Award in the same category. He has since directed films such as The Man in the Iron Mask, We Were Soldiers, Secretariat, and Heaven is for Real. Really cool. And he shows up a few more times with the, the Airwalker thing. I think he's one of the few, one of the people who has a problem with Vince's drug problem. But... uh. Guy I probably didn't know of back in 2020 or 2010 when I was 22 years old. So like I've always enjoyed when directors make cameos because they're a little bit more aware of how you're supposed to perform, if that made sense. And sometimes they're good actors. What was the best perk from this episode? There's, I think there's only two things you can think about. This perk can be anything, swag, VIP access, car, et cetera. Why don't you start, Joe? Oh, I mean, definitely dinosaur skull. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, they should put a dinosaur skull in every swag bag at the Oscars from now on. <laughs> just a, like, hey, here's just your a dinosaur one. skull. Just a little, yeah, yeah, just a little raptor, a little, yeah. It's funny too, because it's like, they're just running out of crazy shit for Vince to buy. He's had Rolls Royces and whatever. And now it's like, how about some fucking dinosaur skulls? It's like, yes, I want a dinosaur. I'm going to drink Avion out of that dinosaur skull. <laughs> I love it. So you would think the first half of the episode, you're like, oh, I guess it'd be the motorcycle. It's a 2009 Harley Davidson FLS TSB Crossbones. But in 2009, the retail value of that bike was like $18,000. So it was an expensive bike, but it wasn't some like 
multi hundred thousand dollar purchase today you can buy that bike for eleven thousand dollars but it's adrian peterson's rare allosaurus skull that's it uh which is 1000 percent just a reference to nicholas cage who purchased a tyrannosaurus batar skull from a beverly hills gallery in 2007 he paid two hundred seventy six thousand dollars for his vince pays i think two hundred fifty thousand dollars for his Nicholas Cage didn't know, though, at the time when he bought the stall that it had been stolen from the Mongolian government. He returned it to the government, and he has since gone on record as saying the Mongolian government has never paid him back. So out 276 k Nicholas Cage. Not exactly the best with his He money. was attached to a script I wrote for like two weeks. Really? Yeah, and then uh, Joe Lynch was directing this movie, and he tells this mm-hmm. pretty fantastic story about how crazy it was when he went to go meet Nicholas Cage about this movie uh it would be very long to uh uh <laughs> tell this story but he tells it on his podcast you can okay. it's like in an episode where he talks to um well, i shouldn't send people to other podcast or do you care no you're fine oh uh, it's like it's like on an episode where he talks to brian posein he tells a story oh, about yeah. meeting nicholas cage about this movie Go check that out if you guys are looking <laughs> for some nicholas cage dirt my wife's family is from newport beach california and they might live a few doors down from Nicholas Cage. Oh, I've never hey. seen him. I just, I mean, and, and that's that's not to say that me and my my wife's family is super wealthy and live in the same neighborhood. Just a lot of those houses are on the water, and like my wife's family has a small house on the water, and then there is a monstrosity a couple doors down, which apparently is owned by Nicholas Cage. Never seen him though. I've always wanted to. Right. Okay. Here's a fun question: How would this episode of Entourage be different today, plot wise? If the same exact things happened, how would it be different? Well. I mean, the one that really jumps out at me for sure is trying to start a car service. It's, <laughs> I mean, like it was hard then. It is impossible yeah. now. Nobody yeah. is going to invest in anything like that. Nobody cares. Like no. the, the convenience of Uber and the fact that you can still get like Uber X or whatever their high-end car is. And the only difference in his service is that you have to call in advance to get like a girl to drive. Oh my God, that was... I mean, yeah. like I said, it's a it was a loser in 2010. It would be a non-starter today. It's been brought up a few times the car service thing. I, I'll I'll even venture like a hypothesis, like with how with how like sex positive everyone is now. I feel like Turtle would just be like managing somewhat like, OnlyFans girls or something like that, or just like skip the car part and just like you know be a he wouldn't be like a pimp, but he'd be just like someone who like helps women start their careers, you know, whatever career choice that may be. And with Turtle, you got to think it's something a little bit unscrupulous. It's just something that I've been thinking about a little bit more and more. Like, what would this, what would this actually be in 20? A cam house. Three. A cam house. Yeah. That's what, that, that would make sense because he gets these hot girls who want to do like whatever. And it's like, and it's only fans, just like you said, but they're not touching anybody. They're just like in their own yeah. rooms. So, and the fact that he puts together a cam house, that would make a lot of sense. 1000%. I would say mine is also that the Airwalker movie that Randall Wallace is directing, it would be the biggest movie in the world. Uh, especially if it was written by David Benioff, the co-creator and showrunner of Game of Thrones. Even today that still works. He wouldn't just be, like you said earlier, just kind of offering the lead role (laughs) to a movie star at an auction while they're just hanging around. It would have been the most coveted role in Hollywood with where we are in the Marvel, like, you know, whatever the the phases. They'd probably offer it to, like, an up-and-coming actor or an unknown. They wouldn't offer it to Vinny Chase, who's already played Aquaman. Like, just some some interesting, like, it's close, but it's not... Exact. That's that's just my thought. It was like Airwalker would be a much, much, much bigger deal. Than yeah. Just this like little thing he's working on with Stanley. I mean, the whole industry rests on superhero movies now, and it and it did not at the time. Um, <clears throat> you know, because when was like Iron Man? Two 
2008. 2008, right? So it's like, and Iron Man was essentially an independently produced film. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, Marvel wasn't its own studio, didn't have any of that stuff. So people didn't necessarily, people were starting to see where Marvel was going to go, but it hadn't really gone there yet. So yeah, it would have been like today. It's yes, a whole different thing. Dark Knight, 2008 or 2007, end of 2007. And then Iron Man, uh, summer of 2008. So that would, that, that started the ball rolling on yeah. like, oh, these things can be the biggest money makers ever. And then the entire film industry was destroyed because of them. Thanks. It totally was. <laughs> Faces in the crowd. Uh, I like to do this for just reading the credits, reading the IMDb's of all the different actors involved. As someone who might have a really small role in this episode of Entourage, it might have gone on to bigger and better things. I have one. I don't know if you saw anyone that jumped out at you, or but I, I have one I'll, I'll offer. It's the actress uh, Annie Ilanza. She plays Rachel, one of Turtle's drivers who quits. She's kind of the shorter one of Hispanic descent. Since this episode aired, she's been steadily working these past 13 years. She has over 30 credits. But most recently, she had a supporting role in the most recent season of The Umbrella Academy on Netflix as Sloane Hargreaves. I like The Umbrella Academy. I'm not all caught up. I've watched the first two seasons. But really awesome to see that like one of Turtle's drivers stuck it out as an on and is on one of the biggest shows on Netflix. No, it's great. No, I, I did recognize it's funny. I was really paying attention. I didn't recognize anybody, uh, you know, who's yeah. like, who'd gone on to other stuff. I'm just asking for a favor. We barely make salary now, turtle. But Bob knows how much you make in tips. Tips are down with the economy. And mostly we get cash offers to give blowjobs. Mm -hmm. So is that what you're asking us to do to make decent money? Of course I'm not, but I got no choice. If I want to expand, I gotta make more money. In order to make more money, I gotta pay you guys less. How much less? Half. Come what? on. And I can't pay for your lunches anymore. Oh, well, what if we say no? You could stay on, but I'd be looking for replacements willing to work cheaper. Well, you're gonna be looking at some butt ugly replacements. Oh, come on, Sarah, please. I'm sorry, honey, I can't do it. Abby? I can't either. I'm barely making rent now. Seriously, Turtle, we can make more money being extras on a set. Mm -hmm. We were doing this because it gave us more free time to work on other stuff. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Turtle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Me too. Turtle? Yeah. Any way we could get our checks today? Tomorrow. Let's gotta transfer money to that account. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. I thought so. Bye, what? Turtle. Yeah. Bye. Roddy did Six Man Award. Yours is uh, Lloyd. Mine's uh, Marvin, a.k.a. Paul Herman. Let's talk about Johnny Drama. I mean, the whole episode's about him, dramedy. There's so much good back and forth. What was your favorite Johnny Drama moment overall, though? For sure. When he's calling uh, E, and then he and then goes, that's Sloan. And then, you know, is Sloan, uh, uh, he wants to know if John Stemmons is better looking at him. And she goes, no. He goes, oh, shit. Just like the way he goes, oh, shit. I hope the network thinks that. It's just so funny because it's just like such powerful delusion. I, 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 it made me laugh so much. Yo. Phil thinks we can get John Stamos. Oh, wow. You think he's better looking than me? Um, uh, I don't know. Drama? Ask Sloan. Drama. Ask her. Do you think John Stamos is better looking than drama? No way. Shit. The network thinks so. I also don't want to miss the opportunity to say, too, though, that, like, especially having been, you know, producing movies and stuff like that, and mm -hmm. I've produced a couple TV shows, uh, Johnny Drama is a monster. Let's not let, let's not <laughs> ignore this. Johnny Drama is a monster, and he would be yeah. the last person you'd want to do anything with, right? Not only is he like an, an indulgent narcissist who's completely delusional, he has sexual harassment lawsuits against him, <laughs> right? He's 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 like famously got hard in front of Brooke Shields in front of this thing. Yep. He's a degenerate. Yep. 
He goes to like rub and tugs all the time. He's like, you know, he does, he definitely does all kinds of drugs. He would be just a nightmare. I have dealt with some of these with actors who are super difficult on the phone. Like, I mean, like I had Mickey Rourke attached to a movie for a while and just talking to him on the phone, I was like, oh, this is going to be a fucking ride. Uh, That movie didn't happen, but I was just like, (laughs) just like thinking of it. And it's like, um, I mean, Mickey Rourke has his own reputation, uh, but sure, it's like he yeah, just even fine. on the phone, he was like difficult because it's just like I hate this. Well, actor. well documented. Oh, yeah. I hate this yeah. actor. I hate that actor. I hate this one. And I'm like, geez, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it was like, OK, um, but I just don't want to like miss that opportunity because uh, no, he- I love him on the show. I love he's hilarious. They do all kinds of great stuff. But sometimes I think about myself having produced movies and be like. I don't know what I would do. He often, especially later in the show's run, carries full episodes based upon just whatever hijinks he's getting up to in his career with Turtle. And it's one of the best comedic performances on the show. But you're right. When you look at it oh, yeah. objectively as a human being, Johnny Drama, nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> just like a nightmare to be around. Yeah. Just the entire, the, you're right. The, the, the My favorite Johnny Drama is also just drama just being in complete disbelief that he's not as attractive as John Stamos. Now, I guess that type <laughs> yeah. of confidence, Joe, is what you might need as a struggling actor in Hollywood. Like, if you have that type of confidence, that's what keeps you going back to auditions every day for 20 years. Maybe that's what it takes to succeed. But it is so, so funny. What? Drama's with Phil Yagoda, and he's like, John Stamos? And Yagoda's like, yeah. You think you can play the other guy, John? He's like, maybe, I don't know. You think he's better looking than me? And your daughter's like, yeah, maybe, John. <laughs> yeah, maybe, John. It's so funny. I mean, like, that moment, like, because I, I will say, too, like, by the way, like, some people, you're, you're right that some people can manifest these things. Like, because, like I said, I produced a movie. This is this is funny. I watched the episode before this to kind of warm up to it. Mm-hmm. I produced a movie with Chris O'Donnell, right? And in the episode, die. And in the episode before this, they're like, what, Chris O'Donnell isn't a movie star? <laughs> And the answer is that's shitty. Yes, he's not a movie star because <laughs> my movie didn't succeed. <laughs> but um, he's a guy who was able to like manifest things. It's like after we made this movie, he's like, you know what I want to do? I just want to ha- get a job that's in town so I don't have to travel. And then he immediately got NCIS Los Angeles and been doing it ever since. So I'm like, Jesus, it's like he just manifested like exactly what he wanted to do and it just showed up. So some people speak into existence. He he did it, right? He did, and he, he's a nice guy, by the way. He was like a very a nice guy to work with. He was like good to all the like people. Like we were shooting in New York and uh Long Island, and so there were a lot of normal people around, and he was very polite, very happy to meet everybody. Great guy, but it's just like it really is just like I want it to happen and it happens. Very cool. So that's 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 dramas. Maybe it's his both his faults and his strength, right? Like <laughs> his overconfidence. Yeah. And I just also love one last thing. Them all just coming to the realization that drama is funny seven seasons into the show is pretty brilliant. We've all known him as one of the funniest characters on the show, Emmy nominated acting performance it's just it's kind of a brilliant turn to be like no wait drama you're kind of funny like after all the nonsense we've seen him do like it's 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 a really good choice in my opinion i think it's hysterical i know it's only 10 pages but it's funny well i don't get it or know how to make it funny you don't have to make it funny it is but i'm not funny bro yes you are drama that guy roger was right just play it straight come on read with me i don't think you opposite me is gonna bring out my best you just read why do you think that girl was looking at you and not me? Well, look at me. Look at me. I think there's a whole universe of women that would look at me as better looking than you. Well, I'll agree, but while we're living in this universe, let's assume she was looking at me. What, I'm playing the ugly guy? No, you're playing the not as good looking as the really good looking guy. <laughs> yeah, good luck casting that. See that drama? You are funny. 
You know what? Let's call you Goda. Let's. In fact, let's just bring it over to him. Come on. Do you really need me, or can I go back to other parts of my life? You love hanging with me. Besides, now that your boy Lavin stole Vince, who else you got to hang with? We'll hang later. Your loss. Not a ton of great Ari Dole this episode, um, but is there any Ari Dole moments that jumped out? It's a lot of him groveling to his wife, to be honest with you, and then standing up to Barbara. He's on his back foot a lot in this episode. Like with Lizzie, he is. With Barbara, he yeah. kind of is. With his wife, he is. It's not a great one. And then even it's like one of his insults to to Barbara, where he's like saying, oh, you look great in leather pants and a gag ball. It's like, isn't it ball gag? Like that's, like even, even that feels fumbled because it's like, so, yeah. I mean, I like some of the... I mean, I'm digging deep for this. It's like the stuff that I liked the most was probably two things. One where he is like being nice to his kids at the beginning to show that family man stuff because it felt very authentic. And then where he does a very agent thing and tried to and tries to turn a loss into a win by telling Mrs. Ari that he got rid of Lizzie. Watching the wheels turn. Like as he gets that news, he's like, oh, cool. I can use this. Uh, that That was kind of relatable if I'm being honest with you. It was, it was. So, but you're right. Overall, not like a not a great Ari episode. There's one line where Barbara enters his office the second time, and she's like, "I want to talk about Lizzie." And he goes, "Oh Jesus!" She went running to her grandmother. It's just, it's funny. It's like, yeah. it's a, you know, it's an age joke. They're probably the same age. The actors are within, you know, within <laughs> just. He, he's always just being, you know, that sexist, dismissive, like, and it all blows up in his face this this season. So there will be few and far uh, favorite Ari Gold moments uh, this season. Okay, Joe, we're rounding the turn here. A couple questions left. Who besides Vince won this week's episode of Entourage? Vince can't win. He wins every week. I mean, definitely drama, without a doubt. I mean, everyone wants to do his show. And then here's one thing that I was like, oh, this is like a particular win for drama, although it's an internal win, is Philly Goda says, you know, you got to meet John Stamos. And he goes, what? You think I got to meet Stamos? And he goes, yeah, you're going to meet him? Okay. Oh, my God. He actually accepts it. He does not sabotage it and say... No, John Stamos has got to come to me or blah, 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 or any of the million things that Johnny Drama would normally do. He actually accepts it and moves on and allows things to like uh, manifest. And I was like, oh, look at that. Like he actually, he won over himself. Look at that growth from Johnny Drama in this episode. He's homophobic one moment and the next moment he's like (laughs) willing to have a meeting in order to continue his television career. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. No, I completely agree. It's 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 drama. Could be Lloyd though. After what you said, Lloyd might have set the whole thing in lo- in motion. And I'll say, just for mine, just to, for the sake of being different, I could say Lizzie Grant. Lizzie Grant, yeah, Lizzie Grant, not not bad, right? Except that you know, I remember where that. I know where that all goes, and it kind of fizzles out into nothing. It's one of the first cancel culture, like you know, like plot lines that we'd ever seen on TV. They essentially yeah. use Ari's words against him and get him publicly, you know shamed so yeah but it remains to be seen at this point in the season but she stands up for herself to Ari and then she calls his bluff and, and quits at the end of the episode I guess that's just kind of like a little win for her I don't think she won the whole episode but I just wanted to give her no, shout it, out. D- drama definitely did though because it's like and then he even makes out with a girl at the end too yeah there you go yeah it's like and invites her to Maui <laughs> yeah was this an A-list B-list or D-list episode of Entourage and you can do pluses and minuses so because it's like a I'm gonna go with B minus and the reason is because like for me, the D ones are the ones where they're trying to make you care about Vince's plight, right? Those yeah. are always going to be the, the bad ones because yeah. it's just like, you can't do that. But this one is very interstitial. And so the, like, I don't know if there's, there's not really a single 
is there a big moment in this episode? I mean, even breaking the skull, which is supposed to be the big thing at the end, is like not not something you remember the show for. And like nothing happens from that. It's not like the next week they're like, we owe a lot of money for that skull. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just that like Vince loses $350,000 or whatever, which he does, you know, every day anyway. So yeah, often. B minus, I said, it, it, because it's still a positive episode. Like if it was if it was a negative episode, it would go lower. I agree. I might even say C plus. The drama plot is great. I think the Vince and Scott plot lines, they have it has the seeds of something good. Obviously, it has the the dust of something good too coming up. But like it's always been funny to me. The Scotty Lavin character, when he's introduced, he's initially shown as like a foil to E. And then by season eight, he's just one of the guys. He's just another member of the entourage and doesn't really go away. And I like that you see him kind of getting along with everyone. So we see this episode is him, you know, just kind of palling around with Vince. I didn't, didn't mind that. And I gotta say that the Ari, Barbara, Lizzie thing, I just didn't care for it. It's obviously leads to a lot, but it uh, just wasn't super enjoyable. Wasn't wasn't the fun aspirational, like, you know, uh, show that I'm used to, if I'm being honest. So, you know C+. what? Now that you say that, it's kind of interesting because you're right that it's like whenever they try to create foils for these characters, <laughs> like with Barbara to yeah. Ari or or um to you know to e here or lavin to e they never really are able to make that work yeah they just either have to like congeal with the rest of the cast and just like become part of the bitter machine or they just disappear it's always yeah. been funny that way i mean the closest thing that you have to that working is like maybe seth green yeah e. that is, yeah, that's, that's that he's like the depth but he's he's written so like astronomically like in one direction like oh i'm gonna be yeah. so antagonistic to these guys that it's like just pure comedy uh yeah i i would agree but like even like uh jamie lynn seedler who's like you know i guess she's not a member of the entourage but like she fit in seamlessly all last season and then they wrote her out because i think just like they wanted to reset the turtle plot line and it was like man she initially was i thought she was going to be around for the long run i thought this would be like a lot of shows where like new characters are introduced later on in, in the plot of the or in, in the timeline of the show and they just stay till the end but uh not the case for her sadly she, she might have had some other obligations. That's true. That's yeah. Possible. Last question. Who are you in your real life entourage, Joe? Well, you know, it's funny. Like I've heard some other guests of you're saying like, cause they're the ones in entertainment that they're like the, the Vince, but a lot of people I know are in, a lot of my friends are like in entertainment moments. Um, so uh, I'm going to have to go with the. Um, You've been a director. Are you Billy Walsh? Oh my God, I'm not that angry. Uh, I have been a director, yeah, but no, um, I'm going to have to go with, uh, who's the guy who was producing the uh, Ramones movie? <laughs> Bob Ryan. I'll, I'll go, Bob Ryan. Like, right, yeah, I'm Bob Ryan. I'm, tell, I'm, I'm the old guy telling you about my glory days. Like, uh, is that something you'd be interested yeah. in? No, that's that's the first Bob Ryan we've gotten, so I'll give it to you if you want. That was available. <laughs> Someone's got to be Bob Ryan. Someone's got to be Bob Ryan. Joe, this has been an absolute blast. Genuinely, thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for sharing your background, your insights. I really do want to have you back on. Let me try to find a non-interstitial episode of Entourage that isn't all about drugs, tequila, porn stars, or Johnny Bananas. I, I think there should be one left in the last 15 episodes of the show. Sure. Hey, you know what? I love it. We'll definitely have to have you back on. This was a ton of fun. Where can the listeners of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah check out your work or find you? Uh, well, don't find me. There's no need for that. Uh, I don't really do social media, but I will say that I run an event in LA. We're in our 11th year. It's a film challenge. It's called the Collaboration Filmmaker Challenge. You can look that we do have social media for that. There's also the website collaborationchallenge.com. It's a two-week film challenge. You make a film. We have like thousands of dollars of prizes. The number one prize is like $5,000, but also we give a development deal oh, every wow. year. 
with Shout Factory and several movies are in production now with like winners of that. Shout Factory produces like um, Mystery Science Theater yeah. and a couple of other things like that. Um, so, you know, where else are you going to win a development deal? It's like one of the rare ways that somebody who's not necessarily connected in the industry can actually get an opportunity to get something off the ground. Any aspirational directors, producers, or filmmakers who listen to this, go check it out. I'll include the website link in the show notes for today's episode. Joe, thank you so much for your time. I hope we can talk to you then soon. Thank you. I loved it.